Amen. Well, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, we are making our way through the book of Genesis, and we have come to chapter 27. If you're not familiar with the uh, Old Testament or maybe the book of Genesis, one thing that you're going to find out, and you'll see it even in today's message, the Lord does not sugarcoat um, his servants and their lives and the decisions they make, whether they are good or they are bad. And we've seen some bad decisions. We've seen some great decisions. Uh, Chapter 27 is just kind of a disappointment all the way around, though. (laughs) Everybody is going to make some terrible decisions in this chapter. The title of the study is The Bitter Fruit of Carnality. So we're going to see Isaac ignoring the revealed word of God. We're going to find Rebecca failing to honor her husband and devising schemes to accomplish the word of the Lord. We're going to see Jacob engage in deceiving his father and um, trying to gain the inheritance that was already his. And we're going to see Esau confronted in his carnality but unwilling to repent. So these are the four players that we have going on in this chapter 27. Let's jump right into it. Verses 1 through 4, we see Isaac's carnal plan. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old like 137 years old. And his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. It's actually going to be 43 years away. 43 years. He's going to be 180 when he dies. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat it, that my soul may bless you before I die. So I call this Isaac's carnal plan. Why is it carnal? Because God has already made it clear that Jacob, the twin brother, the younger twin brother of Esau, he was to be the one that was to inherit the blessing and was to walk in the Abrahamic blessing, that is, the, the covenant through which the Messiah would come through the lineage of the people of, of, of Israel. It's from Abraham, and now it goes to Isaac, not Ishmael. It goes from Isaac to Jacob, not Esau. The Lord has a plan, and he is working it out. When Isaac and Rebekah could not have a child, Isaac sought the Lord, and he blessed, and they had a child. Then when she was pregnant... She was having a wild pregnancy, and she went to the Lord and said, what is going on? This is not a normal pregnancy. And the Lord responded and said in Genesis 25, 23, two nations are in your womb. No woman wants to hear that. I'm just, yeah, I've never heard it out loud, but I'm just thinking that's probably the case. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Esau was born, born first. Esau was born, uh, Jacob was born second. And so it was Jacob that was to be the one who was to inherit the blessing. And Rebekah knew that. And Isaac knew that. And Jacob knew that. And Esau knew that. And yet Jacob, and we're going to see Esau here, I mean Isaac and Esau, scheming and coming up with a plan to get over, around, through, whatever you want to call it, God's revealed word of God. It's a carnal plan. What what motivated the carnal plan? Maybe it was wisdom, the wisdom of the day. The younger never is in charge. It's always 
the older. And so culturally, this doesn't fit. This is an embarrassment in the culture. This brings too much shame to, to poor Esau. And if Esau maybe had this, then maybe he would get changed. And he, who knows what was going on? It was a carnal plan. It was going outside of the revealed word of God to get this accomplished. And it's sad to see Isaac in this state. I mean, this is the man who yielded himself to being offered up as a sacrifice to his father Abraham when he was probably maybe, you know, a full-grown man for sure. Full-grown, capable of defending himself, and yet he was willing to yield to that. This is the man who waited and did not take a wife from among the idolatrous Canaanites. He waited for the Lord to bring Rebekah to him. This is the man who was seen meditating in the field at night. This is the man who inquired of the Lord when there was no child. This is the man who dug wells. This is the man who was, uh, you know, building altars and worshiping. This is the guy that was willing to be uh, patient and peaceful with Abimelech when they were, you know, ripping them off. There's a lot that Isaac did that was so right, and now we see him in this state where it's like, it feels like I'm about dead. I might as well do whatever I want anyway. Oh, I like good food. Make me some good food, and I'll give you what you want. It's not a, glad, not, not a flattering picture of Isaac at all. And, you know, 43 years is a long time to just kind of coast through life. Don't you think? I should die any day now. Well, that's, that's a lot of living to do. Now, sure, he, he had some physical limitations. He wasn't able to see, so he's probably not going to be out there in the field. He's not going to be um, out there, you know, digging wells and doing all of these things. But there, but there still is a wealth of knowledge about God and the worship of the God of Abraham that he needs to be passing on to his family, to the younger generation, to those that are around him. And it seems like his hands are off the wheel and he's just coasting. And I just want to give this exhortation to those who are of the more mature in our audience here, our congregation, is that you don't coast when you get to a certain point in your life. That you say, well, you know what, um, it's now some, honey, it's, it's your time, me time, we, we finally get a chance to do the things that we want to do and we'll let other people, you know, worry about that church stuff and, and about ministry. No, you and I, we are slaves of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You are to use that. And if you think so often what happens when people are younger, and it's like, hey, serve the Lord with all of your energy and strength and vigor while you're young, and the response is, hey, I want to experience a little bit of life before I do that. I mean, there's plenty of time to get involved in the kingdom of God and church and really following what Jesus wants. I'll do that later, but now is the time for me to just kind of, you know, have a little bit of fun. Well, when is it ever time to serve the Lord? And I'm not saying that the younger are not serving the Lord, and I'm not saying that the older are not. I'm just saying these are two mentalities that we are confronted with at different stages in our life. And in the middle section, you're just hanging on for the ride. I mean, you know, you've got your job, you've got your kids, it is, you're doing it, and we can serve the Lord then too. But this idea that says that when you get older, you don't have to invest in the kingdom of God. No, you may not be driving the oxen any longer. and Your hands may not be on the plow out in the field, but you need to be there to instruct. I noticed while you were plowing, let me give you a few little tips about some well digging. Let me tell you about the importance of family worship. You have a place if you are older and you've walked with the Lord to instruct the younger men, the younger women we got to do it. 
If we don't, if the older don't instruct the younger and are not there to support them and stand fast and make certain that we continue to obey the word of God, not our traditions, the traditions and the styles, they come and go, all right? What we are concerned about is the timeless word of God, not our cultural experiences that we valued in the, you know, whatever year it was, and now here we are. I mean, for all we know, the next 30 years, maybe the accordion becomes the hit instrument, you know what I mean? And every church is going to have that, and we'll remember the guitars, you know, the guitars. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you got screens or you got lights or you don't or you have sound or you yell real loud. All these things are just, they're things. It's technology, it's not theology. We're concerned about theology. And so we need that built in um, knowledge and experience and skill to be passed on. Not lying around in your tent, just doing whatever you want to do. Eating something that you think is delicious. It's kind of interesting. How does Esau lose his birthright? He sells it for what? Yeah, red lentil stew. And now his dad is like, I'll give you the birthright if you'll give me some savory dish. I don't know what it is there. Maybe you can maybe search this out, have fun with it at home fellowship and talk about it a bit. But I'm sure there's something well. Finish well. Don't finish like this. Finish well. Keep yielding. Keep meditating. Keep digging. I hope, hopefully you've dug a few fresh wells this past week in your quiet times and prayer times and with the family. Keep worshiping. We move on to verses 5 through 20, and we now get a glimpse of, of what Rebecca, she learns of this, and she comes up with the plan to thwart the plan of Isaac, to thwart the plan of God. There's a lot of that going on in this family. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food for, uh, from them, for your father, such as he loves. There's like way too mention of savory food. I mean, it's just like it keeps on going and he loves it. I mean, really loves it. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Newsflash, Jacob, you're a deceiver if you do this, whether you get caught or not. Doesn't seem to be the motivating factor is righteousness here. The motivating factor is, can I get away with it? Does this something we can pull off? Verse 13, mom said to him, let your curse be on me and and me only, and my son, only obey my voice and go and get them for me. And she went and got, he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, you know it, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were 
with her in the house, and he put them on and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and he put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into the father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you've told me. Arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because Yahweh, your God, brought it to me. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, he's lying on a few different levels here, isn't he? But this is Rebecca's lapse of faith. She already had the revealed word of God that said, your younger son will inherit the blessing. Why doesn't she just stand fast and inquire of the Lord and seek the Lord? She did that when there was turmoil inside of her with these two sons. Why doesn't she do it with the turmoil on the outside with these two sons? And the answer is, she has a lapse of faith. She doesn't go and continue to seek the Lord. She obviously feels like she has some control and some influence and that she knows how to handle this. Now, granted, she does come from a very well-known deceiving family. Her brother is, what's his name? Laban. Talk about treachery and deceit. Jacob is going to learn firsthand from uncle deception what this family can really do. And... Um, so she knew of this stuff. She knew how it worked. And she's instructing uh, Jacob, which um, we're going to be reminded here in just a moment. His name means deceiver or supplanter. So, I mean, it's a family tradition. And they even name their kids after those that do that. So Rebecca has this lapse of faith. And, um, you know, Jacob agrees to deceive his father but he's concerned about the possible negative outcome rather than the sin that it would be and trying to gain the blessing. Where is his faith? Why doesn't he rise up and say, Mom, you know, two things. Number one, God said I'd have it. Number two, Esau already despised it and it's been given to me. Yeah, but your dad is going to do something. God has got it. He's in control. He'll figure out a way. He will allow it to come to pass. When we begin to connive and scheme and work the situation to make certain that it lands favorably with us, we're usually in the wrong. We usually are going to lose a lot of sleep over it. Rather than being like a Rebecca to Jacob, we should be more like a Mordecai to Esther. That's who we want to be in each other's life. It's like a Mordecai. They were going to uh, laws of the Medes and the Persians had declared that if the queen appeared before the king without request, she could be killed. And the request needed to be made for the preservation of the Jewish people. Because Haman, I can't ever say his name without thinking hangman, Haman wants to kill and wipe out the nation. And now here's Esther, a queen to the king, and she can come before, but she's got to be called in. And she goes, well, if I'm called and I'm put to death, and Mordecai says, step up to the plate. Maybe for such a time as this, you need to go in there 
and you need to ask. And she steps up in faith and she petitions her husband, the king, on behalf of the people. And that's what you need to be like. I mean, like Mordecai, hey, trust God. Step up to the plate. See what he's going to do. Verse 20, such a sad uh, verse to see Jacob using the name of the Lord as a cloak for his unrighteous deeds. It's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're God. I mean, boy, he, you told me he could come through, and he came through. And so he's not only lying, he is also using the name of the Lord and using spiritual language to get it done. Now, Rebecca, she fails in faith, but she also fails in her responsibility and her role as a wife. This is a little tricky, though. I mean, she is to be walking in honor and respect to her husband. This is clearly taught throughout the scriptures. It's made clear in Ephesians chapter 5 and other places that she is to submit to her husband. But the problem is, well, wait a minute. He's doing the wrong thing. You're right. He is doing the wrong thing and he is sinning. And she should not participate or help the plan to get Esau to have the birthright. She shouldn't participate in that. But neither should she come up with a scheme and a plan to deceive her husband. Yes, but something's got to be done. Yes, something does need to be done. And that's where God comes in. Let God do that work. And so she fails as a, as a wife here to show that respect. It's like, well, listen, if he would have been respectable and honorable, she would have respected him. But, you know, that's not the standard for showing respect and honor to a husband. I mean, ideally that's the way it should work out like well how is that well in the new testament the bible says to women who are married to unbelieving husbands that they should be submissive to their husbands in all things unless it would cause them to be disobedient to the lord then you draw the line say no i'm not going to do that i'm going to worship the lord i'm going to obey the lord i'm not going to engage in this kind of treachery or lie or deceit i'm not going to do that and that's where you draw the line but other than that, she, this woman, married to an unbelieving husband, should be in obedience. So if that's the case for her, where that husband's never going to be praying and seeking the face of God, and she's called to it, then certainly when a believing husband is off base, that doesn't go out the window. It's an opportunity to exhort as brother and sister in the Lord and to call to do the right thing. But this is what she is failing to do. Isaac is failing as a parent. He's willing to bring his son into the blessing when his life is a mess. He's a fornicator, we're going to read. He's a profane man. He's marrying women who are idolaters. And he is not interested in the Abrahamic uh, blessing. He is interested in the prosperity and the power that comes with it, but not the spiritual responsibility of it. That's already been made clear from our previous reading of him. How sad it is when we begin to scheme ways to bring about the promises of God into our life. You don't have to scheme. You don't have to do that. Because God has said, I want you to have an abundant life. I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You don't have to scheme and plot. You don't have to begin to thwart the work and the word of God to try and gain blessing in your life. Follow the Lord. Yeah, but time's running out. Time's not running out. The Lord has all the time in the world. He lives outside of time. Trust him. Wait upon him. 
As we move on in verses 21 through 27, we get a picture of Jacob as, as a hypocrite. And the word hypocrite uh, comes from the theatrical world, and it's the equivalent would be the word actor. Hypocrite, actor. It's one and the same. Now, we think of that, and we most commonly use this word, hypocrite, to speak of somebody who pretends to be one thing when they know, in fact, that there's something else. And that's exactly what Jacob is doing here, isn't it? He's playing the hypocrite. He's playing Esau, but he's really Jacob. Let's read it. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are, whether you are really my son, Esau, or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, This is the voice of Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You really have to wonder how hairy this guy was. Is anybody else thinking this? It's like, he's farm animal type hairy because they're putting, and that's not an exaggeration, they're putting goat skins on him, and dad's like, that's my boy, you know. (laughs) It all just seems a little strange to me, but it must have made sense in the moment. He says, wow, you really are my son Esau. And he said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought wine and drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. Boy, that, that must have been hard, that act of treachery. It reminds us of Judas. And he smelled the smell of his clothing And blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. He's being a hypocrite. Now there's a difference between being a hypocrite and being a sinner. Now hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. And I think sometimes we, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to, just seeing the context here, I want to hit it again. We all miss the mark. We all are in need of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. Every single one of us as redeemed people still need to be walking in the forgiveness of the Lord because we are not perfect people yet. We are being made in the image of the Lord. We strive for it, but we do not always achieve that. But a hypocrite is different. A hypocrite says, I'm Esau, when in reality, you're Jacob. That is, I'm a really spiritual man or woman, but you know full well that you're not. And you are portraying yourself to be one thing over and over again. You're involved in a scheme, a plan, a plot to deceive, and you're not. Understand this. The Lord will reveal who his people are. And, you know, you can try and hide, but that's not going to work out as we're going to see. Um, Jacob is barely going to be finished with his sin before the Lord uh, reveals exactly what he's done. But be consistent with your words and your actions. Be consistent. Who you are in your prayers, who you are in your praise and worship, who you are in your fellowship, be when you are out at work, when you're driving down the road, when you're at home alone, when it's just you and your own thoughts. Be consistent. Now listen, we all, I mean, I'm sure every one of us have experienced praising and worshiping the Lord, maybe even this morning, saying, Lord, I build my life upon your love. You're like, am I really doing that completely? Am I I really doing that? 
I mean, I know I need to do that, but am I doing that? Ah, uh, no, Lord, I'm, I'm not really doing it the way I need to. And there's a, a repentance. I mean, sometimes we sing these songs and they're hard to sing because it's like, that's more like a goal I need to pray for right now than the reality of my life. Keep singing it. Make it a point of repentance. Ask the Lord's grace to be upon your life. But, but don't just keep on walking in sin and not making the changes as, as you are confronted by them because then it goes from that place of being a sinner and to being a hypocrite. Look at verses 28 and 29. Therefore may God give you of the dew of the heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So he gets it. Mission accomplished. Should they feel good about it? Isaac blesses the younger. Now there's nothing good about this. It's happened through treachery and it's happened through deceit. Simply because you get what you want doesn't mean you got it the right way. And that's exactly what's going to happen. The, the blessing passes on just the way God said it would to the younger, but not the way I'm sure he intended. You say, well, I mean, Jacob kind of gets away with it. I mean, he's got the blessing. He's good to go now, right? Jacob doesn't get to enjoy this blessing for years. Because he's got to go spend some time with Uncle Laban. And spending time with Uncle Laban is going to beat him up over and over again. And he's going to be humbled. And he'll be on his way home. And he's still learning the, his lessons. And he's wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord's going to touch him. And he's going to walk around with the limp. And then finally he, be, he becomes that man that is uh, no longer deceiving and scheming in his ways. And then he gets to really enjoy the blessings. But th this is it's going to take him a while <laughs> before he comes uh, back home, he's going to have to leave. Verses 30 through 40, Esau finds out and he mourns, but he does not repent. Now what happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food. And brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. We're going to come back to that verse. Verse 34, when Esau heard these words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed I have made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as his servants with grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, 
Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Not much of a blessing there, is it? And so he experiences this. He is seemingly broken, but he's not broken. He's mad, he's bitter, and he's disappointed with the outcome. But he is not broken over what he's done. Not at all. In verse 33, Isaac is terrified, right? It says that he, Isaac trembled exceedingly. He's, like in a, he's, he's shaking so bad, he can barely control himself. So why is he shaking so badly? Is he mad and angry and just can barely hold it together? I think if that was it, and I can't be you know, definitive on this, but if, if that was the case, I don't think he would say, what has happened has happened. He will be the blessed one. So why is he shaking in this manner? And I think that John Phillips in his commentary, um, I think he has something to say about this. And I just want to read to you. He says, what a mag- uh, no, sorry, uh, Isaac was a man suddenly alive to spiritual verities. Horrified at what he had tried to do, at the enormity of his presumption and indulgence in seeking to discharge a holy duty in a fleshly way. He had acted in the flesh and God had simply overruled him. He was shaken to the depths of his being. I think that more aligns with what took place. He knew the word of the Lord and he knew what he was doing in this moment was wrong and it was a rebellion against God saying, I know what your word says, but I don't care. I can't do that to my son, my oldest son. He's going to be the one. You're going to do it my way, Lord. And the Lord's like, I don't think so. You're not going to do it your way. And he comes to this reality and he is shaken And he is terrified. You know, it is really a sad thing that when we walk in sin and the Lord comes and he pops us for it, that we are no longer terrified about it. We are no longer shook to the core over our actions. Isaac appears to be broken for what he has tried to do. And he says, no, indeed, he shall be blessed. He understood it was the will of the Lord. How about Esau? Esau cries. He's crying bitterly. Read twice that he cries out. But Hebrews 12, 14 through 17 gives us some insight. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone should uh, fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, like who? Like Esau, he was a profane man and he was a fornicator who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He was not, he had tears in his eyes, but his heart was still standing proud. 
He was not broken over what he had done. Listen, why is he so bitter? Well, maybe it goes back to the whole deal when he sold his birthright. But really, be mad at yourself. I mean, that was a dumb move. But I think probably it was already a problem. There already was an issue. He probably knew of that promise, the Abrahamic blessing, and what his mother Rebecca had been told that it was going to fall to Jacob. Whatever, I don't care for it. And his heart is turned against the Lord and against his, uh, his parents and willing to disobey the word of the Lord. It really is a shame. He had a chance to repent But he didn't. He was bummed because he was missing out on the prosperity and the power. But he didn't care about the spiritual responsibility and the blessing that was come through this uh, inheritance. Because he was a profane man. He was a carnal man. His goals, his ideas, his life was about something else. I pray that if the Lord has dealt with you on something... And, here, and this happens so often. The Lord deals with you on something and brings you low and you pause just long enough in your actions and in your thoughts and in your ways to get over the inconvenience and then you're right back to where you were before. And there's not true brokenness. There's not true repentance. You're just sorry that you got caught. You're sorry that it didn't work out the way you thought it would. And that's who Esau was. Look at verses 41 through 46. We'll wrap it up. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The day of mourning for my father are at hand. No, they're not. No, they're not. He says, and I'm going to kill that little punk. It doesn't say that, but you know... That is what he is feeling at this moment. I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother, look at this, look at this, comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. How do you comfort yourself when everything goes wrong? Is it by plotting the harm and you know, downfall of those that have caused trouble in your life? You, you just, you begin to think about the day of, of, of repaying them. You're not comforting yourself in the ways of the Lord. You're not comforting yourself and saying, Lord, listen, I repent. I know that it was your plan all along to bless Jacob. Forgive me for my sin and my willingness to, to try and undo your will. He doesn't do that. He's like, I comfort myself, not in the will of the Lord, but in his own will and what he could accomplish. Hard things can happen in life and your feelings can get hurt and hard things can happen to you. But if you want to comfort yourself in bitterness, you will be a bitter person and you will ruin everything around you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Yeah, because it's worked out so well for me before, right? Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him then I will send and bring you from there why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day and Rebekah said to Isaac I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth that's Esau's wives 
If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? And then he's going to be sent off. Bitter consequences. Bitter consequences. Bitterness. I mean, this whole family. I mean, who, who, who do you want to be in this picture, right? I mean, you have Isaac disobeying the word of the Lord. You have Rebekah, you know, scheming and conniving and having a lapse of faith. You have Jacob, a willing participant, living up to his name. And you have Esau, a profane man. And yet, in all of this, God accomplishes what? His will. God can take the unrighteous acts of people and use those for his glory. Now, don't go do that because you'll still have to pay the consequences like we're reading right here. Jacob is going to be sent away and he will never see his mother again. He will die in the land of Haran. Isaac is going to die. Now, Jacob and Esau, when he comes back, it seems like, you know, he's no, lo- well, he's no longer willing to, wants to kill him. And there is a little bit of, you know, time has healed some of that. And that's, that turns out pretty good. But there's just bitterness in every one of these situations. You know, if you question whether or not can you, God can use the unrighteous acts of people to accomplish his perfect will, I point you to the cross. An unrighteous act to kill the Son of God. The most unrighteous act. And yet God used it to bring redemption and the Abrahamic blessing to come into its fullness. The wisdom of man says give it to the older son. But the wisdom of the Lord, which was foolishness to them, was no, I'm not going to do it that way. And so I pray that we can learn from them. We can... As Isaac, we can tremble at our mistakes. That as Rebecca, we could be those that don't go down that road of not believing God can work it out, but that we trust and, and not to be full of bitterness and not to be deceiving. You know, God doesn't want us to build our life like that. When you live like that, trouble will abound all around you. And whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If you're being chastened by the Lord, know that that is a blessing. That is a blessing of the Lord. He is correcting you. But be broken. Don't just have bitter tears because it didn't work out. So again, Isaac, um, I mean, Jacob, he ends up going away, going to return some 20 years after being tricked and deceived over and over and over and over again by Uncle Laban. And um, he's going to come back a different man than when he leaves. We're going to go into communion. And of course, I mean, there is the scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the, all of Scripture. And it begins there in the garden when the Lord promises through the lineage of uh, Eve that a child would come to redeem and to reverse the curse. And then it goes to... Um, uh, Seth, and then it goes to Noah, and then it goes to Abraham, and then it goes to Isaac, and then it goes to Jacob, and on down through to Judah, and um, eventually through Mary, and Jesus is born. There's a scarlet thread of redemption. But you know, it's the foolishness of God. It's not the wisdom of man. It's not the power of man. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, as we prepare for communion. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than man. And so when Jesus came, born as a man that would be rejected and nailed to the cross, the Greeks looked at it and they said, that is complete folly that a God would be killed by man and we could find salvation. To the Jews, they were, they were stumbled at this. They couldn't, they couldn't accept it. And so the wisdom um, was something that they rejected. The means by which God did it. And that's exactly what we see a little glimpse of in this one story all the way back there with Isaac and Esau, Rebekah and Jacob. The wisdom of the Lord is being rejected. But God, his foolishness, which is wiser than the wisdom of man, is what ends up coming to pass.